Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. This morning, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. There's a famous story that I wanted to share with you this morning, one that maybe you've heard, but possibly with a little bit of a different twist. So I'll give you a second to turn there. Luke chapter 15, we'll be looking at verses 11 to 32 this morning. There was a book that went back to 1991. That was like forever ago, wasn't it? (laughs) It was called The Day America Told the Truth. It was by James Patterson and Peter Kim. Here was the question that they asked as they surveyed Americans. What are you willing to do for $10 million? $10 million. You got to do the Dr. Evil thing, right? What are you willing to do for $10 million? So two-thirds of Americans polled would agree to at least one, some to several of the following, would abandon their entire family, 25%, would abandon their church, 25%, would become prostitutes for a week or more, 23% would give up their American citizenship, 16%. All right, now I've got to tell you. I've given you a little bit of lists so far, right? Here's what blew me away. 25% would give up their family, but only 16% would give up their American citizenship? Something didn't add up to me, but whatever, we'll move on would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free, 10%. I'm still hung up on the family part, all right? Like every time I do this, I'm like, but what about your family? But what about your family? Would kill a stranger, 7%. And then last but not least, would give up their child for adoption, 3%. Let's pray. That was back in 1991, people. The day America told the truth. Does that surprise you a little bit? Tim Keller wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods. And in it, he said this. He said, as a pastor, I've had people come to me to confess that they struggle with almost every kind of sin. Almost. I cannot recall anyone ever coming to me and saying, you know what, I spend too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family, my soul, and even the people around me. And here's what he went on to say. Greed's modus operandi includes blindness to your own heart. It's true, isn't it? So I started with a survey that I hope would give a little bit of the old shock factor. I wonder what the survey would say today in 2023. I don't have an answer for you. I'm just throwing out a question. It doesn't sound good, does it? And then you think, man, what is it that had so captured people's hearts that they would be willing to give away, give up their entire family for $10 million? The loyalty of their family apparently has a dollar value to it. There's a parable that we're looking at this morning in Luke chapter 15. And Jesus shares this parable with the Pharisees. Now, for those of you that don't know, the Pharisees, they were considered to be a very strict religious sect in Judaism. These were the ones that felt like they not only knew the law better than most, 
could even teach the law better than most, they saw themselves as the ones that followed the law better than most. Now there's a cautionary tale in that, and that's part of what the parable is about, and it's why Jesus tells it. There are gonna be two different warnings this morning, and here we are in this series on forgiveness, and one of the things that we found is, is it's difficult to forgive. In fact, we have this tendency that when somebody does something that's wrong to us, we want them well, to get something back in return, maybe even a double portion of it, right? We love vengeance. We have a hard time handing things over to God. Graciousness, we find, doesn't come naturally to us. Instead, that's something that God cultivates in us. There's this beautiful story, and I want to begin by reading in verse 11. So Jesus goes on to say, remember to the Pharisees, there was once a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to him, Father, Give me my share of the property now. So the man divided his property between his two sons. Now stop for just a second. I want you to observe something here. He has two sons. One of them jumps out ahead of what is pro the proper time, and he asks for his inheritance early. Did you catch that? But what the father did was he gave both of the sons their inheritance early. He says he gave it to them both. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, we kind of have an idea of what this would look like. If you were the older son, good for you, because you were going to get two-thirds of the estate that was to be distributed. If you were the younger, you would get about a third of the estate. The younger one is saying, I want to go ahead and get what you were going to give me later on after you die. So after a few days, the younger son sold his part. He really held on to it a long time, didn't he? Yeah. After a few days, the younger son sold his part of the property and he left home with the money. He went to a country far away where he wasted his money in reckless living. He spent everything he had. And wouldn't you know it, then a severe famine spread over that country and he was left without a thing. So he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him out to his farm to take care of pigs. He wished he could fill himself with the bean pods the pigs ate probably edamame with a splash of sea salt. But nobody gave him anything to eat. And at last he came to his senses and he said, all my father's hired workers have more than they can eat and here I am about to starve. I'll get up, I'll go to my father and I'll say, father, I've sinned against God and against you. I'm no longer fit to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired workers. So he got up and he started back to his father. Now he was still a long way from home when his father saw him and his heart was filled with pity and he ran, he threw his arms around his son, he kissed him. Father, the son said, I've sinned against God and against you. I'm no longer fit to be called your son. But the father called his servants. Hurry, he said, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Then go and get the prize calf and kill it. Let's celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he is found. And the feasting began. And all the people around there were like, let's have a party. This is a pretty familiar parable, isn't it? You've probably heard it before. But I think there's a little bit more going on here than you might get from just a common reading of it. See, here's the thing. In the ancient Near East, when you asked for your inheritance early, you were telling your father that you wished that he were dead. 
which means that you're not getting yourself in the best standing with your father by the simple request. Is that fair? You look at your father and you see how your father is instrumental to you, but you don't really see how your father is valuable to you. Your father is good for what he can provide for you, but the relationship with your father is simply that, at least for the person in the story. So he's basically saying, I wish you were dead. Now, in that culture, the father is expected to refuse the request because it's out of line. No, you're gonna wait till the proper time and then the inheritance will be yours. But what did the father do? He gives it over, not just to him, but he gives it over to the other son as well. So the father agrees to let the prodigal, not just to have the inheritance, to own it, but also to sell his portion of the estate, which by the way, based on the story, seems like it was quite a lot. Let me tell you why. They have a herd of fatted calves and goats. They have a banquet hall that's large enough for a crowd. You remember they had this party? They have a banquet hall that's large enough for a crowd that can, you know, that can fit everybody in there in one evening. Let's have the party. These people have a spread. They're able to hire dancers and musicians for the party. The father is obviously a respected person in the community, enough so that when they extend the invitation out to people, hey, come over to the house because we're gonna have a party, all the people start piling in. These people are known. They've got some pull. And when he sells the land, it then becomes public knowledge of what's going on. And the family, just so you know, they are going to be publicly shamed for it. So it wasn't just that the son asked for his inheritance. It's that there was shame that would come to the whole family because of what the son had done to the family. Here's what they would in fact do. There was a ceremony. It was called Ketsasa. Now, I love that word because it sounds like something that would go well with Mexican food, doesn't it? A Ketsasa ceremony. And this is what, this isn't what the family would do. This is what the community would do to the person. So first, and we get this from the Talmud, we know that any Jewish boy who lost the family inheritance, they were punished if they were ever to return to the village. If you were to ever come back, you were going to be punished by the community. So what they would do, it was a bit of a sending out party. The villagers would bring a jar and fill it with burned uh, assorted nuts and corn and they would break it in front of the guilty person and they would do it in, in, in front of the community. And while they were doing this, they would shout out, you are cut off from this people. And when they did that, you were cut off from these people. Out you went. Now you remember with the younger son, out he went, right? That was actually what he wanted so he didn't have a problem with it. But the village was gonna have absolutely nothing to do with them. And this is why we call him the prodigal. Now, just so you know, the prodigal, it means reckless. He was reckless with the decisions that he made. He was reckless with the way that he treated his father. He was reckless with the way that he treated his family. Is that fair? This was a reckless guy. The truth, though, is, is we don't have any idea on how he spent his money. It just says he was reckless with it. The older brother, if you keep reading, and we will, but the older brother that he has is the one that accused him of hanging out and spending all of his money on prostitutes. But 
How would he know? He wasn't with them. He was back. We're not sure how he spent the money. Here's what we know. He was not wise with money. He was not a financial investor, in other words. He didn't go to the good people at Edward Jones. He didn't do any of that. You get the idea. Some New Testament scholars said, you know what? It seems that he wanted to, the older brother, maybe he wanted to exaggerate his brother's failures a little bit because he couldn't stand his little brother. Now, I know that's hard to believe if you have an older brother and you're the younger brother and whatnot, right? Maybe, who knows? But when his money is spent, guess what he decides? I think I need to return home. I think I need to go home. You know, there's nothing quite like hitting rock bottom to make home seem pretty good to you. Is that fair? And maybe he had hit rock bottom, maybe. But he's broken the rules. And he knows about the ceremony that's waiting for him if he tries to come back to the, he knows. He knows what's waiting for him. So he's desperate to recover the money that he's lost. This is the way of keeping credibility for the people as he comes back into the community. It's kind of his only way. And so he comes up with two plans. Here was the first, I'm gonna feed pigs in a far country. That really went a long way, didn't it? You know, not only is he bad with money, he's bad with planning, it seems. How am I going to get all that money back? Feeding pigs, that'll do it. What he had hoped is that maybe the people that were there would feed him and pay him. But did you notice? They did not feed him. It says they gave him absolutely nothing. So for the little that he was getting for the feeding of the pigs, guess what he had to do? That was kind of his only way of subsisting. And so he's like, I'm not getting anywhere with this. So the first plan, did it work? Didn't work. The, the, as a pig herder, you got to understand, he has to earn back the money wasted if he's going to avoid the embarrassing ceremony in front of all of the people. Didn't work. So then he comes up with a second plan. He decides to rehearse a speech before going home. Did you catch it? So the plan was go home, get some job training, earn his way back in. And to get the training that he needed to be welcomed back into the community, guess whose endorsement he has to have for that to happen? His father. Oh, no. So the guy that you said, I wish you were dead, is the one shot you got to get back into the community. This is gonna go well, don't you think? So he practices his speech. But really at the heart of it, his plan was a self-serving plan because there he is with the pigs. And it says, did you notice this? He came to himself. It's another way of saying, I have an idea. I've got an idea. It does not mean that he realized that what he did was wrong. And it does not mean that he repented. It does not mean that. It means Wait a second, I got, another, I got another thing I can do. I can go to dad. So that was the plan. So he rehearses this speech, so to speak, to kind of play his father. He took an interest in himself is another way of talking about it. Or he thought to himself. This is another way of saying he came to himself. I thought to myself this. But what of his confession? He said, well, I've sinned against heaven and against you. We've seen this before in scripture and people did not mean it. The Pharaoh said the same thing. And he did not mean it. We've seen it before. So here's what he hopes to do. He hopes to get back to his father and to soften his heart so that he can get the father's endorsement. He can get back into the community and then he's not with the pigs anymore. This is his big plan. So if I can restore the money, 
then everything is solved. Are you all with me so far? That's how he's thinking. He never considers the pain at this point that he's caused the father. He does not consider the pain that he has caused his family. He does not consider the shame that he's brought onto them. He's just sick of being with pigs. That's it. He never considers the rejected love of his father. He never goes there. He's basically at this point wallowing in self-pity. I was dumb with money. I'm dumb with planning. I'm going to go back and then see if I can be restored to a community. Even in his prayer, by the way, there was no shame or remorse. It wasn't there. He just regrets where he's at in life. Ever been there before? If you were to look over and look, for example, at the time where Jesus is looking at his passion, his suffering is in front of him. There are two people that do some pretty despicable things. You have Peter and Judas. Peter denies Jesus three times. Judas betrays Jesus and hands him over. Here's what's interesting if you read the Gospels. It says that they repented. The interesting thing is, is that there's a difference in the word that's used to describe the kind of repentance that they did. So for example, with Judas, his form of repentance was he had regret because he was caught. For Peter, he had regret because of the damage he had done. Do you see a difference between the two? Because that's basically where the prodigal is at right now. So the prodigal, he sets his eye on home. He's ready to endure a ceremony. That's probably gonna be embarrassing. He's expected to return with gifts because of the damage that he's done. What did he return with? Nothing. He doesn't have anything to return with. But then we see the father. Then we see him. He knows the son is going to fail. He's staring at the road. He's waiting for this kid to return. And he knows how the son is going to be received by the community when he tries to return. Right? He knows. He knows what's waiting. There's that famous ceremony that's going to happen to his kid. And this was his plan. This is the father's plan. To get to his son before the son makes it to the village. So did you notice this? If he can piece together the relationship with the son that ran off and brought shame to him and to the family, then no one in the village is actually going to treat the son poorly. This was the plan of the father. So he takes, he sees the son in a distance. He takes the bottom edge of his robe and he runs to welcome his son. And just so you know, back then you don't do that. You don't do that. You don't pull up your robe and run. This was humiliation and the the father runs to the son. And before the son can really even get his speech out, the father is hugging him and kissing him. The son doesn't get to finish, he gets to start. And the father is welcoming him back in. He does nothing in response to the son's speech. He does everything out of love for the son. Everything. And the son, just so you know, is a little surprised. He's just a little surprised. And that's when he says, I've sinned and I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. You can see the change in the son now. He doesn't doesn't have any great ideas, does he? Now those are gone. He's not working his father anymore. He just wants the father. That's it. And he stops seeing the father as just useful. And he sees the relationship with the father as something that's beautiful and precious. 
I imagine at this point you can see how the father in the story is a symbol of Jesus. Can you see that? The father is willing to hike up a robe and to be seen as humiliating himself to restore the son. Jesus was willing to hang on a cross and suffer humiliation for us. Can you see it? And so you have the banquet. That's ah, a party. It's a shindig. It's a throwdown. It's a hoot nanny. It's all the things. <laughs> Unless you're the fattened calf, it's a good day. <laughs> it's, it's a banquet of reconciliation between the father and the prodigal. It's a very different experience than the prodigal thought was actually going to happen. Notice what it said. It said he received him just like Jesus receives us. He eats with us. And we're sinners, but he receives us. And so when you think about it, the banquet is about the prodigal, is not so much about the prodigal reaching home so much as it is about celebrating the father's efforts to restore the relationship. Just like Jesus' effort to restore our relationship with him. It's a celebration of that. Now, I would love to tell you that that's the place that the story ends, but it doesn't. Because did you remember earlier, it talks about the elder brother. Now, this is not inherently knocking on the older brother in every family. It's just knocking on this older brother. Let's see how he responds. Look at verse 25. It says, in the meantime, the elder son was out in the field and on his way back, when he came close to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, oh, what's going on? And he said, your brother has come back home, the servant answered, and your father has killed the prized calf because he got him back safe and sound. The older brother was so angry that he could not go into the house. So his father came out and he begged him to come in. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've worked for you like a slave. And I've never disobeyed your orders. By the way, I'm a little suspicious of that, but whatever, we'll let it go. Here's what he says. What have you given me? Now, I, I, I thought, well, in the story, you got two thirds of the inheritance already, right? Right? What have you given me? Interesting. Not even a goat for me to have a feast with my friends, but this son of yours, that's a way to say it, don't you think? Not my brother, the son of yours. He wasted all your property on prostitutes and when he comes back home, you kill the prized calf for him? My son, the father answered, you are always here with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be happy because your brother was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he has been found. I ask you a question this morning. Do you know anybody like the older brother? Actually, I'm gonna ask you a different question this morning. Have you ever had a moment where you have been the elder brother? Where somebody was making reckless decisions and it's not that you wanted to see them restored and you wanted to see good for them, you wanted to see them hurt. You didn't want to see a relationship repaired. You wanted to see a relationship continued to be separated. That's him. I want to give you a couple of things to think about this morning. Marks of an elder brother syndrome. Are you ready? Here's the first. One sign of, elder, of the elder brother spirit is that he's filled with anger about how his life is going. About how his life is going. 
think about it. He has this moralistic spirit. It's a feeling that God owes him good and a comfortable life if you just live up to his standards. So if I really follow God, then he's got to give this back. This is basically what the elder brother is saying to his father. I have lived a good life. I did not ditch you like this guy. And you're going to throw a party for him? Hello? I, I am the one that deserves all the good. That's a pretty good indication that you haven't really comprehended grace yet. Here's what Tim Keller said. He said, if you feel like you have been living right, you'll be angry at God. If you feel that you have not been living right, you'll be angry at yourself. Either way, your life will be filled with anger because you've been trying to control God through your goodness. And that's not how it works. Here, here's a second sign that you might have an elder brother spirit is because your relationship with your father, meaning your heavenly father, is joyless and mechanical. There's no joy there. There's no enjoyment of it. It's just something for something. Isn't that interesting? Because wasn't that part of the problem with the younger son too? He didn't see the father as the relationship as beautiful and good, but he saw the father as a little something I can get something from. Interesting, because the older brother is doing the same thing, and apparently he doesn't catch it. Apparently he doesn't catch it. There, there are two ways, I, I, I love this, there are two different ways that we can look at some things here. There are two different ways, for example, and let me borrow an example, to listen to Mozart. You might have to listen to Mozart to get an A in music appreciation, or second, you might actually listen to Mozart just because it's beautiful. Do you see the difference between the two? You can have a relationship with people for a couple, several reasons, one of which is they're useful, and the other is because the relationship is beautiful. The elder brother had missed it. He had missed it. Uh, another symptom of older brother syndrome is that uh, there's a coldness in their spirit to the younger brother types. You know what I'm talking about? You see people that's making their mistakes and there's just a coldness in your spirit to them. Now I'm not saying that when people make wrong decisions that it doesn't hurt you. Of course it can hurt you. It hurt their family, didn't it? But when it gets to the point that the kind of hurt means that you become bitter and anger and want to maintain the separation, then it's gone the wrong way. I mean, Paul says, be angry and sin not. Another way of saying it is, is the anger might be justified, but what you do with the anger, not necessarily. That was him. Another sign of the elder brother is just an unforgiving, judgmental spirit. Just an unforgiving and judgmental spirit. So if you're an elder brother, you lack two things that are necessary to forgive. Here's the first. You lack the emotional humility to say, you know what, really, I'm not any different than him. He made his mistakes, mine have just been different. So you lack the emotional humility, that's one. And second, you lack the emotional wealth to say, I'm so loved and forgiven by my father and that was what I really needed and it's what he needed too. And I'm gonna celebrate that. I'm gonna celebrate that. Here's the thing about the older son's anger. Did you see the way that it made him react to the father? The father's throwing the shindig. Where did the elder son go? Not into the party, but he stayed outside. Did you catch that? Here's what that meant. The older son is so angry that he breaks his relationship with his father because when the family and that culture is throwing the party, you come and be a part of it. For him to separate himself from his family 
was a way of bringing disgrace and dishonor to the family. Oh my gosh, isn't that what the younger brother did? Now the older brother is doing the exact same thing, just in a different way. He insulted his father, and he did it very publicly. But did you catch the father's reaction? It was absolutely no different to the older than it was to the younger. It was no different. And so for the second time in the same day, the father is willing to offer a costly demonstration of an unexpected love. Earlier it was to the prodigal, it was to the younger, but later it was to the one that thought he was the one keeping the law all along, when in fact he wasn't. It's a lot to this story, isn't there? But one of the things that I hope you see in here is something of the love of God for you, for you. Maybe you identify a little bit with the reckless one. His love is for you, it is. It is what you need the most. What I've prayed is that you would fall in line with the way the prodigal responded and just receive what the father was offering you. That's, that's what the father wants. He just wants you to receive it. He's not asking you to do something for it. He's asking you to receive it. And then the relationship can take off. My biggest concern from this story is a couple. One, and I want to speak to Christians for just a second. Be very careful to not be like the elder brother. Be very, very careful. Because you stand in a right relationship with God because of the graciousness of Jesus Christ. The only thing that you had was to ask for forgiveness. And God was the one that gave it. That was all you had. Be careful especially if you get to the place where you're judging for the point of harm rather than praying that the same thing that you've got, somebody else could find. Be careful, be careful. But did you catch in the older brother, was there ever a story in there of where he comes back to the father? Did you see that in there? Where he comes running back like the younger brother did? Your response is yours. Your response is yours. It, it's not a lack of the graciousness or an offer from the Father to you today. It is. It's a matter of what you're going to do with it. And what you do with it either brings reconciliation or we keep separation. It's the beautiful thing about grace, isn't it? Scripture says it covers a multitude of sins. Yet more proof that God is good, his mercies are new, and that he loves you. He does. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.